Hi, and welcome to the Religion Bites podcast. I'm Mallory Nye, and this is episode 25. Now, this marks a bit of a change for the podcast, as in this episode, we are moving into a new season, that is season two of Religion Bites. Thus, as well as being the 25th episode, this is also season two, episode one. This season, the format of the podcast will be rather different. The episodes of Season 2 are recordings from lectures that I gave at Stirling University in Scotland in autumn 2018, a couple of years ago. These were for a first-year introduction class called Religion, Ethics and Society, which I taught together with Professor Fiona Darek. These were quite large classes, lectures, in the Stirling University Pathfoot Lecture Hall with around 180 students most of whom were taking the study of religion as a general option, i.e. as an elective, as part of various different degree programmes across the arts, humanities and social sciences. Looking over this episode in summer 2020, a number of months after I recorded it, on reflection, I feel these lectures were a useful opportunity for me to put together an overview of some of the key issues in the framing of the study of religion. What I sought to do in the classes was to outline not only what a student should expect when coming into the subject area, but also to locate studies of religion within key issues of race, gender, whiteness, and the European historical development of colonialism. As I will go on to explore in the episodes this season, i.e. within this lecture series, I put this in context with writings on intersectionality, modernity, conquest and empire, indigeneity and Islamophobia. Of course, being a class lecture, this discussion is supplemented by other learning aids, in particular information, visualisation and textualisation on a PowerPoint, along with recommendations for further reading. These are all very difficult to put into an audio recording for the podcast, and so are available in the show notes for the episode, that is number 25 or Season 2, Episode 1, on the Religion Bites podcast webpage. So, I hope you enjoy this and the rest of the season. With this brief introduction and contextualisation out of the way, I'll now let you listen to these lectures that are recorded at the University of Stirling in 2018. Today's class is going to take further some of the discussion on religion and its points of reference within the modern world and in particular I'm going to be digging a little bit deeper into this idea of religion in terms of how and why we're doing the study of religion. So unpacking the concept I'm going to be exploring some of the things that the study of religion, what we're doing here, is not about in terms of theology but also what it is, what what the, the framework is for trying to do the study of religion. And one of my starting points for this is to talk about religion not as a thing, not as something that exists out there with its own, in a sense, power and agency, but something that we call things, that we use the term religion to describe certain things, to try and understand the world. And this is not just something on an individual basis, but on a social basis. It's it's, it's what uh, our world, our culture, our society uh, uses to think through not only the world in which we live, but social relations. So from there, I'm going to be talking about um, religion, modernity, and history, and the question, how we got here. 
And my concluding point is the question, can the concept of religion go beyond this history? Can religion be decolonised? Can the concept of religion be decolonised? So this is all to launch into what I'm trying to cover this week, um, which is what are we doing in the study of religion? How are we trying to unpack this big term of religion and set it not only within the context of how we understand the world, what people do in terms of uh, the, the various religious things people do, or the various things that people do that we call religion, also in, in terms of the, how to relate it to the wider society and particularly the history. And this is something which you have got a sense of, a feel of uh, from the classes last week. There's a whole lot of history that needs to be told in order to understand how we are talking about the world in today, in how we're talking about today's world in terms of religion. And that, that is where I'm sort of trying to take us, to try to get that sense of the historical issues and some of the methodological and disciplinary issues involved there before we go on to look in, in particular, some of that history in particular, at the sort of um, colonial encounters of the early modern world, of the, of the 15th and particularly 16th centuries and later, the discovery of the so-called New World, the uh, beginning of European expansionism and colonialism beyond Europe. But before we get to that, one thing I want to really stress, because this is an important part of the discipline of the study of religion, um, what you're doing here, what we are doing here, is not the same as theology. Now, you're pretty sure to be asked at some point, if you haven't already, uh, if you say to people, oh, I'm doing a religion unit in year one, or perhaps I'm doing a program that involves religion, you're probably going to be asked, oh, is that to be training to be priest, minister, religious specialist of some sort? It is the common grumble of people such as myself and students such as you that as soon as you mention the R word, religion, somehow people assume it's got to do with practice, that it's got to do with being religious and perhaps um, being a specialist. Uh, in religion. And the, the term that usually goes around that sort of specialism, the faith practice, uh, is theology, um, the study uh, of faith, the study of a particular religion and its faith. Religious studies or the study of religion is not faith. It's not about faith. It's not about pursuing or exploring or developing one's faith as the prime reason for doing it. The study of religion is different from that. I, I, would, I would broadly term theology of this, 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 this study that I'm talking about, it goes on in a lot of other places. You can, you can get a degree in theology at Edinburgh University, Glasgow University, St Andrews, Aberdeen, many places in England as well. It's not something that I'm saying is, is a bad thing to do, but it's not what we're doing here. It's a study of God, it's a study of the sacred, it's a study of the divine and perhaps the human relationship with that divine, trying to work out, is there a God? What is God? What, how, what can we say about God? What does God do in human life? And substitute God for gods or Allah or goddess or whatever it is. Theology is about asking those sorts of questions and trying to work out particular answers. A, a way of crystallizing this, uh, a phrase that has been used quite often, is theology as faith-seeking understanding. Faith trying to understand a person trying to understand one's faith or the faith of others through this exploration between the human and the whatever we call God, the divine, the sacred, or whatever. And that can be done, as I've suggested, 
mainly in Christianity. Theology has been a, a large part of Christian studies and has indeed been a large part of the university traditions of the West uh, for centuries. There have been universities in Scotland um, since the 1400s. And most of the universities, the old universities, Edinburgh, Glasgow, Aberdeen, and so on, St. Andrews, um, one of their prime subjects was theology. It's been going on for a long time. And the, um, the, there's a good argument to say that all the other disciplines, including STEM, the physical, the uh, 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 what we call science nowadays, all came out of this theology, um, which was a, a, you know, a, a, a big development in itself and is part of the story that we're telling here. Um, but theology eventually came to be a very sort of small part of the university system, a small part perhaps of the humanities or the arts and humanities. And alongside that in the 20th century developed what we're doing here, which is not theology, the study of religion, um, which um, uh, moved away uh, in parts from the study of Christianity, but in particular defined itself as not being about this, this uh, pursuit of trying to understand and respond to the world through faith. But theology is not just something that Christians do. They, it, it's possible for that, it, well, there are Islamic or Muslim theologians, Hindu theologians, Sikh theologians, Buddhist theologies, and so on, that any, any attempt to study um, the world through this particular faith perspective can be said to be a theology regardless of the religion that uh, we may be uh, referring to or, or from which it might be coming. So the study of religion is not that, but what is it? And here my starting point is the study of religion is not about this divine or God or, uh, or faith. The study of religion is the study of people. We're studying people. There's a good article, um, uh, which uh, a brief article which I put in one of the initial readings by Russ McCutcheon, um, uh, who talks about this as a study of anthropology, a human-centered study, a study that looks not at whatever exists beyond, but what we can know about people. Now, this is a big topic in itself, and we've got universities chock-a-block full of departments trying to study people in, in many different aspects. The humanities, it's a bit of a game, uh, it gives the game away in its, in its title. Human, the study of the human. And in humanities, the study of uh, religion is part of that as a study of various aspects of what people do, what they say, what they talk about, um, how they live their lives, all human activities. But this isn't just limited to the study of religion. It's of course, um, across the humanities and disciplines such as history and English and languages and philosophy and so on, in cultural studies, the study of culture and media, and also in the more sort of social scientific areas such as anthropology, social sciences, and certain degrees, uh, psychology uh, as well. The study of people is a big enough subject, and here the focus is the study of what, in a sense, can be talked about, what can be known. Um, for, for me, this distinction between theology on the one hand and the study of, of religion as a human study is that theology talks about, in a sense, um, something that scientists or scholars find it very difficult to know because it is about premised on a world beyond the world in which we live. It's about faith and those sorts of things, whether it's divine or sacredness. The study of the human is just simply saying, let's put aside those questions of theology. Not, not necessarily to say they're not, they shouldn't be there, but let's put them aside 
and just study what humans do around this idea, this topic of religion. And there's a lot that can be done uh, in, in those terms. But it, it's not faith-based, but as I'll come back to, um, there can be an element of faith involved in some way or other. So in terms of a methodology for the study of religion, how do you actually go about studying people? Again, there are many ways of doing that. The most classical way, perhaps, or uh, the way that seems to have developed first and foremost in the discipline, particularly in the 19th and early 20th century, is looking at texts, finding sacred texts. Very often came from the Christian perspective that Christians have texts, of course the Bibles, the Hebrew Bible, the, uh, the Christian New Testament, put together as the Holy Bible for Christians. So if Christians have texts, other religions have texts as well. Hindus, Sikhs, Muslims, uh, Buddhists, um, I, it was a process of identifying those texts um, and trying to uh, analyse what their faith was about, what their religion was about. This, Alongside this developed other traditions uh, within the scholarship, looking at rituals and practices, and also looking at the broader society, not just simply that, uh, that let's call it a religion, that religion's text, Hinduism text, but looking at their rituals, looking at Hindu society, looking at the values of what it makes uh, uh, what it means to be a Hindu. Then there's the historical side of that. Nothing stands still. There is always a history. Um, history is always important in the present. So how is that past embodied in today, or whenever that today is? Well, if we're doing, the, if we're doing the study 50 years ago, there was still a history from 50 years backwards, and there is now obviously more history. Uh, in, in the present day. So whatever we are studying, the people that we are studying, the people and their religious context that we are studying, how is history important? And big issues, big parts of, in a sense, the, um, the social, the cultural, the political, and also the personal world in which people live. Issues such as gender, race, ethnicity, sexualities, difference, and power. These all impact, are all part of trying to pull apart, trying to understand, all part of the toolbox of trying to study religion. And as we do that, it's not just simply saying take, we'll take one particular theme, such as race and religion, or gender and religion. It's looking at the intersections between and across these categories. This is an idea I'm just sort of throwing in here, I'll come back to uh, later in the week, looking at uh, an intersectional approach, or the issue of intersectionality within the study of religion. So I've given a sort of broad overview already of the different sort of disciplinary or methodological approaches in the study of religion. Here's a list, it sort of replicates a little bit of what I've said already, although I've put a few more in. As we go, I mentioned briefly psychology as well as the top four. Um, politics and international relations, there's some of you who might even be doing a joint degree between the two, between politics uh, and religion. And certainly in the past two decades, since 9-11 in particular, the interactions or the intersections between politics and religion have been a sort of major sort of fascination or obsession with the world. Islam as a political entity, um, you know, the ways in which we can understand Islam through a political approach, but yet at the same time there are many other ways in which we can approach the study of religion. Cultural studies I've mentioned also, um, and also I put it at the, uh, at the end, not necessarily the last or least, but gender and queer studies as ways in which we can uh, approach and discuss 
um, the, the, the various aspects of the study of religion. And this has been uh, a very important uh, element of the study of religion in the past decade or so. So, that as we do all this, our aim is not to sort of uncover or learn or uh, perhaps memorize facts about religions. Um, and I, I say this at the beginning of a course like this, so that you're not going away disappointed, oh, we didn't learn about Hinduism, or we didn't learn about a particular religion. Very often, that is the expectation from a first-year religion class, that you'll learn something about how Buddhists or Hindus or pagans or, or, or any other tradition, what they believe or what, you know, what, what is relevant, uh, what, you know, what, what, what they, uh, they, they do in the contemporary world. We do touch on facts, and the case studies will bring you into interaction with what we could call facts, with information. Um, but as I said before, uh, there's plenty of facts in the world that you can go out and get, it even uh, uh, you know, even without getting a degree. Um, you don't need a degree in today's world to get that sort of information. Um, you can go on Wikipedia, you can go uh, to all sorts of sources, most of them online, but uh, public libraries and so on, to get information. If you want, if you want to you know, discover what are the, the five pillars of Islam, you can look that up on Google or ask Alexa or whatever it is, uh, to, uh, to give you that information. What you need with that, though, is some way in which you can handle that information. That is what we're doing here, not giving you the facts, but giving you the means to deal with the information that you can discover for yourself. Um, we live in this world of fake, of, uh, of, of fake news, of facts, and lack of factuality. And we need, we all need, an ability to be critical, an ability to think. Not to criticise, not to say, oh, that's wrong, but an ability to think about the facts or the presentational facts that we're given, to discern, to evaluate, and to be able to make some sort of informed judgement. To ask questions about the facts that we see, if we see it on Wikipedia, if we see it on a reliable source, or if we see it on a page, uh, say through Facebook or, or some, somewhere else on the internet, to ask questions, the basic questions, is this reliable? You know, it, this is presented as a fact. What, you know, is, is there any reliability at all about this? Why are the people saying this? Who are the people saying this? You know, you can very often be presented with something, you've got no idea where it came from. It might be from a learned scholar, say, in the University of Edinburgh, or it might be from somebody in a village, say, in Croatia or Russia, who are sort of producing facts for the sake of, of whatever, or it might be uh, some, some other source. Where does this originate from, and what are these assumptions that appear to be behind this? These are critical questions. These are the questions that you're here to learn about, particularly within the context of critical religion, the study of critical religion. Um, and as we use that term, that was introduced to you, I know, back, uh, back in, the, uh, in the first class. Um, this is what Sterling prides itself on, an approach called critical religion. And one of the blogs I gave you uh, is called the Critical Religion Blog. And this is not called that way to say that we're here to criticize religion, to say that religion is bad. <coughs> or, as one of the readings is called next week, to say, quotes, religion is bullshit. The argument in that paper, when you get to read it, 
is not to say religion is BS. It's not saying that. It's saying what is being said when somebody said religion is BS. Why do people criticize religion? And that is one of those critical questions within the critical study of religion. Why are people saying the things that they are doing? Asking these critical, these analytical questions about the facts, the information, uh, learning how to think, how to think deeply, how to think critically about this thing that we call religion. And how this thing, which I stress all along, is not really a thing, but we call it a thing, how religion seems to have such an important role in the world today. Why, why do we value religion so much? I mean, it, it, it has its importance, and it has its importance because if you, if, if you watch, obviously, the, the, the royal wedding earlier this year, Harry and Meghan, religion was there right at the forefront. You know, Church of England, Christianity, certain branches of the Episcopalian Church, the American uh, preacher, all of these things you know, are important, obviously, in society, that if, if you know, somebody very closely related to the head of state gets married, it has to be in that sort of religious context, not necessarily uh, the, the way it was done uh, this, this year, but in some sort of religious context. But it's important in many other ways as well. You get a tax break if you're a religious organisation. You don't have to pay tax. You get certain protections, and there are, uh, of course, certain elements of freedom of religion. Freedom uh, to practice religion is considered to be an important thing in itself. All of these things point to religion, and of course, as you look in the newspapers, religion always seems to be there in somewhere or other. Usually in the way in which people talk about Islam as a religion, as a thing, uh, that uh, has impact on the world and trying to understand Islam vis-a-vis -vis the world. But religion is there everywhere we go. So as we do this study of this important thing <coughs> called religion, as I said, it's not the same as theology. It's not the same as faith-seeking understanding. And the study of religion can be done from a faith perspective or it can be done from a non-faith perspective. It can be done by either. Um, and indeed, I wouldn't even put that as a, as a simple binary between having faith and not having faith. I would say there's much more of a spectrum between those two different positions. On, on the one hand, you get the people uh, who are rapidly, one can say, anti-faith. Uh, Richard Dawkins, you might have heard of, wrote uh, books about the death of religion, the pointlessness of religion, a very anti-religious, very hostile, one could say, hostile, atheistic perspective on religion. And, and if, say, for example, somebody who's associated uh, with faith, whether it be um, uh, Pope, uh, Pope, um, Pope Francis, um, I was going to say Benedict, but he's emeritus Pope now, uh, Pope, Pope Francis, or the Archbishop of Canterbury, or a Christian uh, preacher, they come from a very much a faith perspective, but there are many different perspectives on the spectrum uh, between, between the two. People who might have a bit or maybe have a lot or maybe have a little somewhere between those perspectives. All of those perspectives can be engaged in the study of religion. If they go about, and I'm not saying that any of the ones I, I mentioned do, if they go about asking critical questions within the study of religion about trying to understand religion from not from a faith perspective but from a perspective that treats religion as something that people do. And asking these critical questions, this, this is for me a very important part of this, often leads us to unlearning 
much of what we think we know. To actually unlearn, to realise that the things that we've been taught up to wherever we might be, and I'm still in this process of unlearning in my 50s, that there's, there's a lot of things about the world that aren't necessarily how we take them to be, that we take them for granted, we've been taught by our society or by, uh, um, by our teachers, by our school, or by just general education or the media. And one of these things, one of these small examples, is thinking religion is a thing. How we've come to think of religion in such a way. And indeed, how one of the things we have to think and unthink perhaps is how there has been a very long and violent history that has brought us to where we are in our thinking. And I give right at the end, maybe a spoiler or look away now if you don't want to see, pleasure is, but much of this history is rooted in European colonialism. There's been a lot of violence involved in that. There's been a lot of racism and also a lot of white supremacism. How we think of religion has come out of a system, has come out of universities, has come out of a culture that this history has been very important in forming it. I'll just give one small example of this. I, I teach in other parts of the, the week at the University of Glasgow, um, a very old institution um, formed in the 1454. But uh, you might have seen in the news last week that the University of Glasgow commissioned some historians to look at its records in the 19th and 18th centuries, to look at the, the, the gifts that were given to universities that have kept it going till the day. And if, if you're familiar with the West End of Glasgow, the University of Glasgow is a very sort of a uh, significant building in the West End overlooking Kelvin Grove Park. Uh, with its distinct tower and uh, lovely buildings, modelled uh, it, was, it was built by the same architect who built the um, uh, who, who designed the Houses of Parliament in, in London. Now, a lot of money has been involved in the development of the University of Glasgow over those centuries. Where did that money come from? And that's very often an important question. Follow the money to understand the world in which we live, and it's estimated by today's value that at least around about 200 million worth of capital was raised from, in some way, uh, the trading of slaves, by the use of slaves, by African slaves, kidnapped from West Africa, transported under horrific conditions, uh, and then put to work a lifetime of service, uh, uh, created and maintained by violence, very often early deaths, to produce the products that the West then consumed, sugar, tobacco, cotton, um, things that spurred the, um, uh, the Industrial Revolution that helped make Britain a wealthy country, the wealthy country that it is today. All of this is then crystallised into, into the Glasgow history, Glasgow itself, if anybody here is from Glasgow. The city of Glasgow that we know today was made wealthy because of that slave trade and other aspects of European or British Empire. It was the second city of the empire, and st the streets of Glasgow uh, reflect that. Jamaica, India, Kingston, reflecting particularly the West Indies uh, and the slave trade. And some, some of the names of the streets, Buchanan Street. Uh, James Buchanan came from a, a, a family made wealthy by the sugar, by the uh, production of sugar on the backs, literally on the backs of slaves, enslaved people. And that 200 million that I mentioned, 
that went into the university came from that. Now, we, we might look at the University of Glasgow and not think about all that history. That is what I'm saying, the, the unlearning that we have to do, the learning, the way, the perspective that gives us. Now, the University of Glasgow got its money from other places as well. The, Scotland got its money from other places as well. But we are living in a country that has been created by that sort of history. And we'll come back to that uh, at, at a later stage. So, still developing this, this, this question of how do we go about this study of religion, and particularly in terms of how do we do it for, in terms of faith or lack of faith, there is a, um, an approach that is described by the term of methodological agnosticism. If you're familiar with the term agnosticism, it's not the same as atheism, and it's not the same as faith. Agnosticism is just simply saying, I don't know. Gnosis means about knowledge, and agnosticism is simply saying, I don't know. So I don't know about faith. I don't know about God. I don't know about the existence of something beyond the human. It doesn't mean to say that you have to commit to being an atheist. It doesn't mean to say you have to commit to anything, any particular faith tradition. And so methodological agnosticism within the study of religion, is taking a perspective that just simply says, in order to do this subject, put yourself, bracket your everything out, and in, in the end, if you come from a particular, say, a Christian perspective, a particular Christian perspective, and want to study another religion, you don't have to get bogged down with the question, have Muslims got it wrong or right about God? Have Hindus got it wrong or right about their faith and how that works in their lives? To take an agnostic, a methodological agnostic process is just simply to say that is what they do. They are human beings, they are simply living their lives according to the values, the importance, that is what is important to them. Um, and that can be done within a faith, say for example, uh, of a Christian studying another group of Christians beyond their own, or it can be done within a, a Muslim studying other Muslims and so on. It is just simply taking a methodologically agnostic perspective in order to study the people, that stu study people as a study of humanity. And I underline here that in doing this, it's not about devaluing religion, because as I said, it's not about saying religion is bad or wrong or whatever it is, or not taking it seriously. It's simply taking people seriously. This is the significant part of it. We are trying to understand people as people, what they say, what they do, and where this idea of religion comes into that. How people think and behave, and not only understanding that what we could call the interior, the things that are going on inside their heads, such as beliefs and so on, but also locating those within an understanding of the much bigger issues, as I've said, history, language, and power. So... My starting point for this, or one of my starting points, is this is the question we should always ask in the study of religion, of anything that we are reading. This is my critical religion perspective. But what can we learn? What can we learn? How can we analyse? How can we think by taking categories of race and gender as the primary issues for analysis? is part of a wider set of questions, if you follow it through, it's on my uh, Religion Bites blog, uh, as I mentioned in that wee book. Um, race and gender as the primary uh, elements of analysis. 
there is a lot of study within the humanities and specifically within the study of religion that talks as though gender is all about men and race is all about a generic white person, as though these are the only things that matter. They, they talk about gender, but it's all silent. It's all there with the presumption of the white male as normative, as the white male perspective, as the only perspective. Race and gender is far more than that, and there's a lot of unpacking. I'll, I'll do that uh, in the next class. Uh, but race and gender, we have to not only look at diversity, that big word diversity, in terms of other perspectives, in terms of uh, 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 other gender perspectives, indeed in terms of sexuality and, and, and uh, other categories uh, of difference, but also diversity um, across what we could call races or ethnicities, but also look at what is the dominating perspective, what is taken as the norm, what is taken as the, the thing from which everything uh, is, is measured. And here whiteness is a very important part. Whiteness as the way in which white people, people who consider themselves as white, racialize themselves. It is a racialization in itself, and there are various ways in which that's talked about. And maleness as a way in which men think about themselves as in terms of gender. I'll also throw to you here at this early stage uh, a very famous quote. It's sort of one of which I agree with, but I, I find it misleading at the same time. Um, a, a writer, uh, the end of the last century, early, uh, early part of the 21st century, who died just uh, uh, earlier this year, Jonathan Z. Smith, Jonathan Z. Smith, he made many important contributions to the study of religion. And his, his quote here is probably one of his most famous, or if not the most famous quote, there is no data for a religion. Religion is solely the creation of the scholar's study. It's created for the scholar's analytical purposes by his or her imaginative acts of comparison and generalization. Religion has no independent existence apart from the academy. Now you might shake your head at that and think that's just nonsense. There's plenty of religion. You know, it's not just locked away in B corridor with the scholars of religion. Um, it, it exists well beyond the world, uh, beyond the academic world. What he is saying, and this plugs in to what you'll see in works such as Timothy Fitzgerald and all the other scholars of critical religion, that the world is created by thought. The world that we understand comes through thought processes, and much of that derives from scholarship. Much of it derives from the way in which scholars have told us how to see the world in the past and how that is filtered through into society. I'm not sure if it is solely, as Smith says, but scholarship has played a very important part. And so until we were told there were such things as religion, we didn't know religion was there in the first place. So my way of putting this is a little bit different from Jonathan Z. Smith's. Religion as I said, is not a thing. Religion isn't something that exists beyond humans and beyond culture. For me, as I said, the term refers to human activities and ideas and beliefs that may point beyond humanity to this sacred thing that the theologians talk about. But religion isn't an it. 
It, it doesn't have its own agency, it doesn't have its own ability to act. It is instead a way of thinking, a category, an experience, a way of behaving, which has very real lived consequences. Like we live in a, in a body that is gendered, in a body that is raced, we live in an experience that is religions or religionized, that we think of the certain things that we do, religion is something that becomes extremely real although it might be something that is part of language. I, I'm going to be developing this further as we go through, but this is just a starting point. But I think I'm going to sort of bring um, today's discussion to a close um, with, with a sort of a perspective that I think sums this up well, does it well in terms of the graphics and visuals, that when we're looking at religion and religions, my advice to you, is to always remember that there is something between you and what you are looking at. There is always a lens that you are looking through. I'll, I'll use the um, uh, analogy. Say we want to understand um, the religious traditions of the indigenous people of the continent that is now known as Australia. People who have been there for tens of thousands of years, probably 60,000 years, that the Europeans started making contact with um, uh, just in the past couple of, just two centuries ago, with Captain Cook and the so-called discovery of Australia, the establishment of the Australian nation and states, white Australia particularly. There have been people there a long, long time before those Europeans, those British, turned up. Um, and there's been a lot of discussion about what those Australians, the many different Australian groups, actually believe and do and practice and how they live their lives. The indigenous Australian spirituality. It, it's, it's a bit of a misnomer to call them indigenous Australians because yeah, Australian is a sort of white person's term. So to call them indigenous Australians is to sort of misrepresent the fact that they're not Australians. They, uh, you know, Australia is the sort of Johnny come uh, lately of the, of, of the picture. They're indigenous people of Australia, of the country now called Australia. So how do we look at that? I mean, this, for the scholar of religion, how do we look at something that has been there so long and try to understand their traditions? And I'll, I'll sort of use the, 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 the analogy. Maybe sort of we might want to put, bring out a telescope. It's a long way away. We need a very long telescope to see through to Australia. Um, but, you know, to, to try and understand such indigenous traditions, such indigenous culture, we need a telescope to understand, to see it. Um, it's just a metaphor, it's just an analogy. We are looking at it through a particular form, whether it be a telescope, whether it be through uh, a microscope, looking deep down into the nitty-gritty, into, uh, in, into the detail, um, or whether it be, uh, sometimes I wear glasses, sometimes I wear contact lenses, yeah, I can't see properly if I don't have some sort of lenses in, my, uh, in front of my eyes, contact lenses, in order to be able to see clearly. We always look through some sort of lens. Usually the lens isn't a long telescope or microscope or contacts or, 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 or glasses. Usually it's the lens that we have in our heads. Usually it is what we've been, how we've been taught to look. One way in which we've been taught to look is let's look, if we're going to look at those indigenous people in Australia, let's look for their religion. Let's look for their spirituality. 
because that is what we're expecting other people to have. That because they, we have religion, we expect that they will have religion. So we'll look and find sort of certain ceremonies, certain uh, ways of, of behaving that look religious. They might have stories, they haven't written them down necessarily, or hadn't at the time of the initial uh, um, white settlement in, uh, in, in Australia. But you know, those, those, those stories could in a sense turn out to be like sort of Christian stories uh, you know, in the indigenous context, and they are in a sense what we're expecting from them to be religious. So that is our lens. We're, we're looking for something and we find it. And as we go into that, and particularly at this early stage, there is always a series of lenses, a series of ways in which we try to understand something that is different. And always think about that lens you are looking through. Uh, it's never neutral, which is why this course is so much about the history, because that history is what gives you the lenses for which you are trying to understand. Which is why, as I said, we have to unlearn a lot of the things that we take for granted. Because a lot of the lens for seeing uh, is, in a sense, given to us by a history that is not necessarily misrepresented, but has given us, in a sense, um, a way of looking that isn't necessarily the way that we should be looking. Those lenses are never neutral. And indeed, what you're learning about in this process is not only the thing you're trying to see at the other end of that telescope or whatever, you are also learning about the lens or lenses at the same time, how we've come to see the world in this sort of way. And I thought what the, the best way I could represent that, this is, uh, I, I look for various pictures of lenses and goggles or whatever, and found this one called Picture of the Cat. Um, my daughter, she's 10 years old at primary school in Perth, and she gave a presentation a few weeks, a few months ago, um, on um, Florence Nightingale. And we worked together, and she found this great information about Florence Nightingale. She wasn't just the Lady of the Lamp and all that sort of stuff. She was also a very keen mathematician. She did a lot of data analysis. And again, one of the misrepresentations, we remember Florence Nightingale for one thing, and she for the other. But at the end of her presentation, she did a PowerPoint. She put a picture of a cat. Uh, and when, she, when I asked her how it went afterwards, she said, oh, they love the picture of the cat. You know, how, what did they think of the Florence Nightingale stuff? Oh, no, they just like the cat. So that's, that's why I then sort of ended this on the picture of the cat. If there's anything you want to remember about this lecture, just think of the cat, and hopefully the rest uh, will uh, uh, come, come to your mind as well. The lens is that the cat is wearing uh, are what we're looking at as much as what, what we're looking at. Okay, I'll stop there, uh, and I'll see you all on Thursday afternoon.